One of the most inspiring things that I have read over the last few years has been from the Tao Te Ching and says, do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? And this has been so inspiring to me because I had a tendency to think I had to make things happen. All this effort. You know, can I be patient till the mud settles? And the water is clear. And the right action arises by itself. So from a collection of Zen cards I have, this one is on patience, and it says, Watch water drop onto the rock beneath it. One drop does nothing. But many drops over time create a hole in the rock. Such is the power of patience. And a story from the teachings of the Buddha. Again on patience. At one time, Shakyamuni Buddha was staying in the town of Kosambi. In this town, there was one who resented him and who bribed wicked men to circulate false stories about him. Under these circumstances, it was difficult for his disciples to get sufficient food from their begging, and there was much abuse. Ananda, who was the Buddha's closest disciple, his attendant and cousin, said to Shakyamuni, We had better not stay in a town like this. There are other and better towns to go to. We had better leave this town. The Blessed One replied, Suppose the next town is like this. What shall we do then? Then we move to another. The Blessed One said, No, Ananda. There will be no end in that way. We had better remain here and bear the abuse patiently until it ceases and then move to another place. There are profit and loss, slander and honor, praise and blame, pain and pleasure in this world. The enlightened one is not controlled by these external things. They will cease as quickly as they come. So that's quite a teaching, isn't it? We so often have the tendency to move on, right? Whether it's the next town or the next thing or the next person, the next relationship, whatever. And rarely do we stop and stay with it. It reminds me of, um, I think it was Jack Cornfield that said, 
when he's sitting in meditation and he has a pain somewhere in his body, he says he stays with it until the aversion is gone. When there's no aversion, then he moves. It's kind of the same thing the Buddha says we stay right, until it's resolved or until it ends. Then we can move to the next town. So in Gill's book, he has a chapter on patience, which I encourage you to read. And in preparing for this talk, I also went to Robert Aiken Roshi's book. Uh, Aiken Roshi is a well-respected Zen Roshi um, who lives in Hawaii. And he wrote a book called The Practice of Perfection. I neglected to say that patience is one of the perfections or paramis or paramitas. They're a little bit different in Zen, but, uh, but still it's the same thing. Aiken Roshi calls it forbearance rather than patience. But both he and Gil divide patience into three elements, shall we say. For Gil, it's perseverance, patience under insult, and acceptance of truth. And for Aiken Roshi, it's... to put on my glasses. <laughs> Gentle forbearance, endurance of hardship, and acceptance of truth. So they're very, very similar, just slightly different wording. So under perseverance, Gill says, this is the practice of understanding our practice and knowing realistically that there are ups and downs, that the gains we make in our practice are not just linear, linear, but that there are, you know, times we feel very, very solid, maybe, and our practice is going well. And there are other times we think, oh, my gosh, I'm a lousy meditator. <coughs> Perseverance <coughs> is that dedication to staying with it, no matter how it seems to be going through the ups and the downs and the plateaus. We just keep coming back to practice. We just keep practicing. Aiken Roshi talks about gentle forbearance as the spirit of forgiveness. And there was another piece. uh, I can't remember. I was reading this afternoon where it suggested also that patience was the spirit of forgiveness. He also says that the Buddha said that the way or one way you judge a spiritual teacher is by his or her patience. I thought that was pretty interesting. The patience that a teacher shows. So then the second one, the second element For Gil, it's patience under insult. 
And this has to do with that non-reactivity, that even though you may be insulted verbally, physically, whatever, um, there's not that reactivity. There's not that lashing out. But the patience to be with it. And he talks about the civil rights movement during the 60s and how much people had to endure. I remember uh, Martin Luther King saying something like, may our willingness to endure always match your ability to insult or whatever the word was. May we always be able and willing to match what is thrown out to us. So for Aiken Roshi, he says, endurance of hardship. And he goes on to say, life is short and it's hard. That's how it is. He quotes Basho, who is a Zen poet, who wrote a haiku, fleas, lice, the horse pissing near my pillow. This too. (laughs) There are fleas, there are lice, there are unpleasant smells. All of these too. I'm reminded of a time I was up at Spirit Rock for a training and someone was speaking with Jack Cornfield about difficulties at work. And it seemed that she had tried everything. You know, she had tried this and she'd tried that and nothing seemed to change. The difficulty went on. And Jack finally said, then bear it with dignity. And I've always remembered that. You know, when all else fails, when we've tried this and we've tried that, then bear it with dignity. Sometimes that's just how it is. Sometimes we can't change things. That's just how they are. Then we bear it with dignity. And since then I have found times in my life where it seemed appropriate to bear it with dignity. Then both of them refer to accepting the truth. Or we might say accepting things just as they are. What is, is. What is not, is not. And no amount of wishing it were otherwise is going to change that. What is, is. So the acceptance of things as they are. And it occurs to me to add then, as I say that, that patience is not about passivity. Sometimes I think as, as we talk about patience or acceptance, it can be heard as, oh, we're expected to be passive, to not do anything. And that's not the case at all. There's a big difference between being passive and learning to be with something or hold, say, what we would like to have 
or rather hold what is as perhaps we work towards what we'd like to have. This is very important for activists, social activists, who are busy in the world trying to affect change. Unfortunately, so often, um, it's so easy to get carried away and become less than peaceful in our activism. And so it's very helpful to remember that we accept or hold things just as they are as we work to make them what we'd like them to be. Or as one quote says, the Bodhisattva, where is that? A bodhisattva must endure the suffering created by others, even as she works diligently for their welfare. And to illustrate this point, Gill has a story in his chapter on patience. He says, the Brahmana Samyutta in the Samyutta Nikaya tells the story of an angry man who insulted the Buddha. The Buddha simply asked the man if people ever visited him in his home. Surprised at the change of topic, the man answered, yes. The Buddha then asked if he ever offered to feed his guests. When the man replied yes again, the Buddha asked what would happen if they refused to accept the food. Who would the food belong to then? The man said that of course it would still belong to him. The Buddha then calmly and I imagine kindly said, in the same way, I do not accept your insults. They remain with you. Because the ultimate patience is effortless, perhaps the opposite of impatience is not patience, but rather contentment. By not chasing after the whims of the ego, we have the chance to discover a deep contentment that manifests in our life as great patience. So when Aiken Roshi talks about the acceptance of truth, things just as they are, he talks about simplicity and about there being no lasting soul. Emptiness. So then I turn to Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh calls patience inclusiveness. And he, he says, he thinks this is uh, closer to the teaching of the Buddha. And he says, patience is about receiving, embracing, and transforming whatever comes our way. And he talks about if we have a small heart, if our heart is very small, closed, then any little insult, any little unkind, unjust word or deed 
It's going to throw us into a tibby. But if we have a very large heart, if we practice understanding and acceptance, and our heart is very large, then one little word or act isn't going to bother us. We could liken it to um, salt in water. If we put a teaspoon of salt in a glass of water, it's going to be very, very salty. If we put a teaspoon of salt in a large pond, we're not going to even notice it. So he says we should practice like the earth. The earth accepts, embraces, transforms whatever we put into it. And we do put a lot into it, don't we? But the earth embraces, transforms whatever we throw into it. So in that way, patience is very much like equanimity. Equanimity is also about accepting, you know, whatever comes our way. The rain falls on everyone. The sun shines on everyone. And of course, Thich Nhat Hanh always talks about looking deeply, looking deeply to understand and to see clearly what is going on. This leads to our heart opening and the development of patience. Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about patience as being like the ocean, very wide and very deep. And he also suggests that patience can be the transforming of anger. Robert Thurman says, patience is the antidote to anger. So if we develop patience, we can handle the anger. We can hold the anger. Without it, we're often reactive with anger, right? And we can be very unskillful. Do things, say things for which we're very sorry later. But with the perfection, the development of patience, we can reduce that reactivity. There's a story told I thought it was a Buddhist story, but I read just recently it was from the Gurdjieff community. I'm going to make it a Buddhist story. Uh, and the story is that at the time of the Buddha and his Sangha or community of monks and nuns, there was one who was very obnoxious, made life difficult for all the rest of the Sangha. You know, was always complaining and was irritable and et cetera, et cetera. And the community finally drove him out, made him leave. And then the Buddha noticed that he was gone and asked, where did monk so-and-so go? And the monks replied, oh, we made him leave. He was unbearable. And the Buddha said, 
No, no. You must go to the village and fetch him and bring him back. In fact, you must go and pay him to come back. And of course, the monks were flabbergasted. You know, what's this? They were so happy to be without him. And now they're being told, not only must you go get him, but you must pay him to come back. We need difficult people in our lives. How can we develop patience without difficult people? Makes me think of difficult people in my life. Hmm. (laughs) What a different perspective, right? Oh, they can be my teachers. I can learn to develop patience through these difficult people. If everybody in my life was very pleasant, would be much to practice for. Be quite easy. I was with um, Angie Boisevain, probably some of you know, a Zen teacher last night. And I was telling her that um, <laughs> something like, I've had more difficult people in my life in the last couple of years than in my whole life before. She was a little surprised. Maybe this is part of it. Maybe I need these difficult people. Maybe I need these challenges to develop my patience, to practice the perfection of patience. It's said that when we are patient, we have no enemies. I don't know if that's true, but sounds uh, no. <laughs> But it sounds like a good place to start. Also, that when the mind is patient, or when there's patience, the mind is very concentrated. And when the mind is concentrated, then we see things clearly, don't we? We see things as they are. So I also went to the Majjhima Nikaya, the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, and discovered that patience there was listed as forbearance, endurance. And it was a very interesting list of taints to be abandoned by enduring cold and heat, hunger and thirst, contact with gadflies, mosquitoes, Sun, wind, creepy things, ill-spoken words, and painful body feelings. Sounds very much like what we've been talking about, doesn't it? That learning to be with the difficult things of life. We develop or we perfect patience. Now, You know, that doesn't mean that we always have to let the mosquitoes bite us or, (laughs) you know, it's not okay to put up a screen or that we should just take every ill-spoken word that is said to us. I don't think that's what is meant by this. I think rather what's meant is our reactivity to these things. Um, When Mary Orr used to come to our San Jose Sangha, Mary Orr is the teacher in Santa Cruz, And she would say, 
or she had a saying, (laughs) neither open nor close the window. She was actually quoting somebody, I, I don't remember who, and I think it was, when you enter a room, neither open nor close the window. Why did she say this? Because in the meeting house where we sit in San Jose, you know, it's quite small on a warm summer day. It gets very, very warm in there. So we come in and raise all the windows, right? Then as time goes by and the night cools off and it gets cooler, one by one, people are getting up, closing the windows. And I think one night there must have been, you know, quite a, quite a chaotic situation. And that letter to say that. And again, it doesn't mean you can't ever open or close the window in the room. But to see our tendency to constantly be opening, closing. Or sometimes I catch myself, um, you know, putting on a sweater, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off, as the temperature changes just a little bit. And then at some point I catch myself, you know, this is ridiculous. I use this teaching with the women that I work with at, um, at Elmwood, the, uh, the Women's Correctional Center in Milpitas. Same thing happens. The room where we meet tends to be warm. Summer, winter, it's always warm. And the women, they're really quite funny. You know, they come in and many of them are pregnant and it's warm, and they want to throw open the windows and leave the door open. And there's other women out on the grounds, and it's noisy. And I say, no, you know, we're going to close the windows and close the doors. And we talk about how life is often, or very rarely, not just perfect. It's always a little too warm, a little too cold. And we can learn to be with that. I don't think they like it very much, but I think, I think they're getting that, at least some of them. Some of them kind of nod when I say that. You know, things aren't always just as we want them. And it's a wonderful practice to learn to be with things just as they are, whether they're just how we want it or not. And again, it doesn't mean we can't ever change anything. That's not the point. But to see our reactivity and to see how, how quickly we want to change something. It's hot, we want to cool off. It's cold, we want to warm up. I've had that experience myself just in the last few weeks. I swim several mornings at a nearby pool and... Um, I've been swimming year-round for many years now, so I'm very sensitive to the temperature. I can usually tell you within half a degree what the temperature of the water is that morning. Well, the temperature dropped about five weeks ago. (laughs) It's unclear why, but anyway, it did. And um, boy, did I get to see my reactivity. You know, it's one thing to swim at 7 o'clock in the morning. It's another to swim in cold water at 7 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) It's funny now. I watch my mind. Um, You know, some days it's like, okay. And I swim and 
it's fine. Uh, I said to the guard on Tuesday, you know, I'm getting used to this cold water. Today I got in and it was a little bit more like, mm, this is this is cold. This is a little colder than Tuesday. <laughs> Fortunately, it didn't last very long. But it's been it's been quite a practice, and I'm finding that I can adjust. Whereas at first my reaction was, I'm not going to swim here. I'm going to go to another pool. You know, they shouldn't do this. Really reactive. <laughs> and now it's like. I guess this temperature is here to stay. Well, I can swim or not. And I choose to swim. And I see how much more pleasant it is the mornings that, I, you know, I count the laps and wait for it to get comfortable. <laughs> and the mornings that, that I grouse and wish that I'd never gotten in. So... It's a big challenge, I think, the practice of perfecting patience, but a worthwhile one. I think the benefits are great. The equanimity, the peace of mind, the calm that can come from the practice of patience makes it worthwhile. And we must remember patience and compassion for ourselves, because it often isn't easy. I can joke about it, you know, we can all joke about it, but sometimes it's not easy, is it? It can be quite difficult, quite challenging. So we remember forgiveness, understanding, faith, acceptance, love, They're all, we could say, synonyms for patience. We could say they're all part of patience. Uh, In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, it is said, love is patient and kind. So... I'll end with a poem by Maddie Stepanek. Maddie is the young boy that um, had a very, very rare form of muscular dystrophy. He appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show a few years ago and, and became known through that, I think. And he wrote, I think, four uh, volumes of this journey through heart songs. And he was an old soul in a very, very young and very um, disabled body. He died a couple of years ago at age 13. So all of these poems were written before that, some as early as age four, I think. This was written in 99. Peace of patience, he says. I cannot wait to become a peacemaker. I cannot wait to help the world overcome anger and problems of evil. I cannot wait for the world to be peaceful and for everyone to live in harmony. I cannot wait to grow and be and overcome. But I will wait with patience and hope and peace.
So we have a few minutes. Are there comments, questions? It occurred to me that uh, when we're in a situation where we're being tried to see if we can be patient or not, I certainly have explored in my own mind, well, I could choose to be impatient and see how that goes. It doesn't last very long, very happily. (laughs) Being patient may be hard, but at least there's a good reward at the end. If you let the impatience grow and grow and grow, pretty soon you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And what's the good reward? Oh, relax. <laughs> um, yeah, you have a, you know you you, you lose some tension and uh, begin to begin to see things from the other side. Maybe I find that being patient is um, a way of being mindful. Mm-hmm. Uh, two instances: one today just waiting for a cashier to finish up with what I was buying at uh, Office Supply. Um, they couldn't figure out how to make a, the discount that I had the ticket for. It took about an hour. And I'm just standing there just watching them go back and forth and back and forth. And I'm thinking, this is getting ridiculous. I'm going, where am I going? I'm here. And so... With this mindful practice, being mindful is paying attention to where you're at while you're there. And another instance, I was going down uh, university and there was road work going on and I knew it because I could see how the traffic was stopped at El Camino going to 101. It took almost five hours and I just did it just to see if I could do it. Wow. And I got, I, I found it fantastic. I'm watching really? people leave and come and leave and come. And, and I just stayed there. And I never did get to see the work that was being done on the road. Every once in a while a machine would go by, but I never got to see the work. It was done by the time I got to 101. But I just stayed patiently. On purpose. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Above and beyond the call of duty, I would say. <laughs> Do you want to pass it back to Jennifer? Thanks, Brigitte, for the reminder that um, I even wrote it down. Patience is not about passing because I've, I've often gotten those confused. Um, so my experience has been with these dogs barking um, at my condo. And, you know, it's just it's been like 10 months. And, um, you know, I've done so many different practices about it. Like, oh, you know, this poor dog, he's just barking. Well, actually, there's several. Anyway, the long and the short of it, was that I made a call today and I was very, um, you know, kind and just asking about, you know, what would be the possibilities. It was to the condo association, you know, what are some possibilities because there's these dogs barking. And uh, now, you know, probably a year ago, I, I would have, 
you know, made a call a lot longer ago, and I would have been, I don't know what my words would have been, but my tone of voice, and it just wouldn't have been a pretty conversation. It would have been about my rights and, you know, how dare these dogs. So, um, you know, what I recognize is we can take action, but it doesn't have to be, you know, harmful. And yeah, yeah. so thanks for that reminder. I think that is important because it's so easy with, with several things in Buddhist practice. It's so easy to get the idea that we're supposed to be these non-reactive, right, non-emotional, non-doing <laughs> beings. And um, I think it's important to take every opportunity to remind ourselves that that's not what it's about. It is about what you're saying that when we do take action or speak or whatever, that it comes from that deeper place, that deeper place of calm and steadiness and patience, and therefore is more skillful. You're probably much more likely to get a positive result than, than if we call angry and demanding. So it very clearly is not about passivity, although sometimes it is about enduring, you know, sometimes it really is about enduring. If we have done what we can do, we don't see another way, sometimes we endure with dignity. And that may be hard to hear. I think a lot of people react to that, don't want to hear that. <clears throat> but what's the alternative? You know, we can keep fighting, sort of as you were saying, Dick. You can choose to be impatient, and then you get the results of that. Or you can choose to be patient and reap the benefits of that. Sometimes enduring is the most skillful thing to do. Um, when you were talking about endurance with dignity, it, it occurred to me right away that that's very different from passivity. Enduring difficulties with dignity is anything but passive. It's mm -hmm. very, very yeah. active. It seems to take a lot of conscious control yes. and as well as patience at the same time. Yes. Mindfulness. Anything else? Well, before we sit again, um, there's also a story from Thich Nhat Hanh on this subject. You know, um, before the war, Thich Nhat Hanh was, well, during the war, too, he was very involved in... Um, in Vietnam, in the, what was it, the, the School of Youth for Social Service. And this is the story of another monk that was working with him and how he was spat upon by an American soldier <clears throat> and what Thich Nhat Hanh's response was. One day, Nhat Tri was walking on the streets of Saigon when an American soldier 
standing on a military truck, spit on his head. Brother Naktree came home and cried and cried. Being a young man, he was tempted to fight back, and so I held him in my arms for half an hour in order to transform that feeling of being deeply hurt. I said, My child, you were not born to hold a gun. You were born to be a monk, and your power is the power of understanding and love. The American soldier considered you to be his enemy. That was a wrong perception. We need soldiers who can go to the front armed only with understanding and love. I told Brother Natri, if you were born into a family along the coast of New Jersey or California, and if you read the kinds of newspapers and magazine articles that that soldier read, you would also believe that all Buddhist monks are communists, and you would spit on the head of a monk too. I told him that American GIs were trained to look on all Vietnamese as enemies. They were sent here to kill or be killed. They are victims, just like the Vietnamese soldiers and Vietnamese civilians. The ones who hold the guns and shoot at us, the one who spit at you, they are not the makers of this war. And then, the Buddha gave very concrete teachings on how to develop inclusiveness, his word for patience. Maitri or love, karuna or compassion, mudita or joy, and upeksha, uh, equanimity. If you practice these four immeasurable minds, you will have a huge heart. Because bodhisattvas have great compassion, they have the capacity of receiving, embracing, and transforming. Because they have great understanding, they don't have to suffer. This is a great gift for the world and for the people we love.